Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Starting at verse 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and I'll get you one. Anyone need a Bible? Anyone else? Acts 11, verse 1. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, last chapter, last few chapters, we saw that God started opening the door to take this message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. God appeared by an angel to a man named Cornelius who was a part of the Roman centurion, a guard, kind of a a sergeant in their ranks. And we talked about that a little bit last week of how outside of the norm that was, and he had a revelation from God to go and see Peter, and then God revealed to Peter what was going to be happening. He had this vision as he kind of went into this trance. He was hungry, went upstairs, and then this giant sheet came down with all this unclean food for the the Jews that was ceremonially unclean. It was basically like God was saying, hey, how about eating Italian today? And Peter was like, not so, Lord. I've never eaten Italian food. I've only eaten kosher. And then Cornelius' men came to the door and say, hey, this Italian guy named Cornelius wants to talk to you. And Peter put the dots together and said, okay, I'm going to go down there. He went down to Cornelius' house. It's about a day and a half journey. And he goes to his house, and Cornelius has his whole family and friends there. They're just all waiting to hear what Peter has to say. Peter comes, Cornelius falls down at his feet to give him basically worship, which was common for those who were involved with Roman, the Roman legions and the Roman soldiers. It was a common thing for them to do, to bow down. And Peter picks him up, he says, no, don't do that. I'm just a man. He said, what do you want as he walks into this house? And imagine there's probably more people than are here waiting to hear what this guy says. He had no idea. He just walks in there and all these people, we're here to, to hear and obey whatever it is that you have to say. Wow, that'd be pretty cool, pretty scary. And so Peter goes in there and he starts sharing the message of Jesus Christ. And in the middle of that message, as he's talking and he says, In the last uh, part, in verse 43, he says, All the prophets, this is verse chapter 10, verse 43, All the prophets testify about him, that's Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while he's in the middle of his message, the Spirit falls on them, just like it did in chapter 2 of Pentecost. They are filled with the Spirit. They begin speaking in tongues. And he brought six of his companions with them. And he's, they're all looking and they're saying, wow, this is amazing. God is doing the same thing with these Gentiles that he did with us. Can anyone keep them from being baptized, knowing that they've received the Spirit of God? So they baptized them. And then they stayed there for a few days. 
They, they asked him to stay, so they stayed with him for a few days. And, of course, word got back to Jerusalem before Peter did. They say nothing travels faster than the speed of light except maybe gossip. I also say, gossip is good news about people you don't like. <laughs> but anyway, this news, this, this, what happened there precedes them. And it goes on to Jerusalem. And that's where we find chapter 11. And, and we talked about this more in depth on Thursday night. And we're going to talk about it again uh, tonight uh, at the Bible study. And so if you want to go through the whole chapter, I invite you to come with us either on Sunday nights or Thursdays here. But as that has all happened, imagine the excitement, the realization now of what God is doing. Peter goes on and he says that, you know, he remembers that John baptized with water, but the Lord told them that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he saw it happening and there's this excitement. And he gets back to Jerusalem and he's excited to tell everyone, you guys, I got to tell you what's happened. Oh, you wouldn't believe it. And he gets there and imagine all these solemn faces. They're just sitting there looking at him. And it says there, when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men. And ate with them. Dun, 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 dun. Now, try and grasp what this means. When I was in junior high school, a few years back, who laughed? <laughs> I was voted most popular. Not because I was so popular or known by a lot of people. But I was known by a lot of different groups of people. See, I liked playing baseball, and so I hung out with the jocks. But I liked drugs, so I hung out with the stoners. And I was into kung fu, so I hung out with these Vietnamese guys, because I, I thought they would know kung fu, but that's Chinese. But remember, I hung out with the stoners, so there's a little gap there. One of my close friends was a black guy, and so I was just all over the place. I was schizophrenic. And so they would see me all over the place. Hey, isn't that Sam? He's hanging with those guys who don't speak English. You know, isn't that Sam? Oh, he's playing ball. Oh, isn't that Sam? Oh, yeah, don't, you know, what's he doing now? Okay. And so I was known by all these groups, and usually those groups didn't associate with one another. But again, I was out there, and so I didn't care. And so I was voted most popular because I got along with all these people. And I could remember, looking back, what I remember, every now and then someone would say, why are you hanging out with those guys? And I was like, well, because I want to learn Kung Fu. And, you know, and I didn't know. They didn't know it. But anyway, I want to play ball. I want to get high. Whatever it was I wanted to do, I just hung out with the people that I wanted to be around. And you guys remember in high school, when I was in high school, people liked certain kinds of music. But there wasn't that many. There was rock, there's disco, and then punk came out. There might have been country, but I think they hid. <laughs> but then, as time started 
developing, pretty soon you've got classic rock, you've got heavy metal, you've got death metal, you've got screamo, you've got hip-hop, you've got rap, you've got country. It, it came out of the closet now, and it, it's, it's everywhere. And so now there's all these kinds of music, and now you've got skaters, and you've got the punks. I don't know if you still have punks, but I call them punks. And then you've got other people that are involved, and they kind of group to themselves. You can tell by how they dress. You know, the jocks, and they all have their jackets, and they go over here, and they stand over there, and then these people all over here, and they've got their you know, spikes and their piercings. It looks like they fell in a fish tackle box, you know. And, and they're all over the place. Well, back then, they basically had two categories. They, in the nation of Israel, there were the Jews and then there were the Gentiles. And originally, God had spoken through Isaiah and said that they were to be a light to the world, that they were to show the world who Jehovah was. But as time developed, they became very distant from the rest of the people. In fact, they would say that the Gentiles were only good to be the fuel of hell. That was their idea. Yeah, let's make friends. <laughs> no, no, thank you. It's like Hansel and Gretel. No, I'm not going to go to your house. You know, you think I'm the fuel for hell. And so there was this distance from them. And it was severe. It was something that was extreme. If they would rub up against a Gentile and bump them, they would be considered unclean. They would take their clothes off. They would have to go through ceremonies to cleanse themselves because they had touched a Gentile who was unclean. Imagine if you were sick and you needed a, a blood transfusion and they said, well, who do you want to get blood from? And you said, well, I want this guy. And they find, well, that guy has, you know, AIDS. He's got the HIV virus. He, he's, that's what it was to them. It was that bad. And so now we get an idea of how big a step this was, Peter going to this guy Cornelius' house. This was a big deal. And he gets back to Jerusalem, and amazing things that have happened. God poured his spirit out on these people. They believed the message of Jesus Christ. And what did they have to say? They criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. You didn't just go in the house, you ate with them. That was even worse. Because eating with them is identifying with them. It's in a sense a communion, having that unity with them. And so they were on their case, big time. I just read this morning in USA Today, in the world section, says from Washington, the Obama administration said late Saturday it would participate in planning for a U.N. conference on racism despite concerns the meeting will be used by Arab nations and others to criticize Israel. The U.S. will decide later whether to participate in the conference. The State Department said it would send diplomats next week to participate in preparatory meetings for the World Conference Against Racism, which is set to be held in Geneva, Switzerland, in April, and which some country, including Israel, already have decided to boycott. 
We say they're boycotting it. Why? Well, during the Bush administration, the United States and Israel walked out of the first UN conference on racism in Durban, South Africa in 2001 over efforts to pass a resolution comparing Zionism, the movement to establish the main and maintain a Jewish state as racism. In other words, they wanted to say, if you're Jewish and you live and have that state, then you're a racist. They wanted to make the whole nation of Israel basically racist. And so the United States walked out, and so did Israel, of course. <laughs> no, we're not going to participate. And so it still exists today, this kind of barriers between people. The Arab nations don't want to acknowledge Israel as being its own state. There is a divide there in people's minds. And we have divides, too. We have these divides, and it depends on how you were brought up, whether it's something that's developed because of politics. You know, can Democrats be saved? You know, can Republicans have a heart? I mean, whatever your political background is, it causes divides. Might be through race. There's a number of things that develop barriers between us and other people. Things that make us resistant to these things and towards other people. And we see that when the Gentiles received the word of God, this is an incredible thing because what that means is they received, as he said earlier, forgiveness of sins through the name of Jesus Christ. That is what is talked about by received the word of God, the Logos Theos. Jesus was the word made flesh. When it says they received the word of God, it doesn't mean they handed them Bibles. It means they believed in Jesus Christ. What an incredible thing that is. But they could not rejoice in it because of this barrier that was in their minds. And it's a barrier that we need to guard ourselves against because it's something that exists with us as well. In Mark chapter 3, it says, Then Jesus asked them, the Pharisees, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. What's going on here? Do you guys, something's not right. What's wrong with this picture? This guy has been lame. He's been crippled. He's been in this place of need for years, his whole life. And he's healed. That's not something you see every day. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty cool, especially if you're the guy. And what is their response? we got to kill this guy. Wouldn't it be, hey, let's get you over to the hospital. You know, hey, can you come visit my family? Hey, I, I, and some people did that, but these people were so blinded by their prejudice, by their traditions, 
that they could not rejoice with something that was good because they held something else in their heart that kept them from that. Luke's gospel, Jesus says, if your son or an animal fell in the well, you'd pull him out immediately. Isn't it okay to heal this child of Israel? In other words, you do something good for an animal or your son if it's an emergency, why can't you help this person out? And what he's trying to impress on them is God cares about the person, not about your traditions. And that's why in Mark 2, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Because the purpose of God was to benefit men. The purpose of God's law was to instruct men to help them out of the pit they were in. It wasn't to put burdens on them. It was to bring them out, take burdens off them and set them free. And if we're not concerned with people and are only concerned with our traditions something's wrong if we can't rejoice when someone has something good or receives the good news and the gospel something's wrong and we need to check our hearts to see if that is the case i just read this one sentence it says if rules or propositions get in the way of our concerns for others if doctrines or theologies cancel out our love for people in pain and trouble or in need then we need to step away from our traditions and return to the spirit of christ whenever your rituals do not benefit people who are in pain if you care more about your traditions than helping someone who is in need then something's not Connecting because God cares about the person in need and reaching them and helping them and rescuing them. And if we turn our back on those people for whatever reason, we are not representing the heart of Jesus. Every now and then I, I, I'll be driving and I'll see a car. I've talked to you about cars before. It could be a Porsche. It could be a Ferrari. I saw a Maserati that was just so nice the other day. And I'll be driving in my pickup, you know, my Toyota, and I'll see the car, and it's just humming, and it's you know, always washed, you know. And, and you'll think, oh, man, look at that car. Or I'll pull up to Starbucks, and there'll be one parked there. And you get to look inside of the leather and all the... You know, trimmings. <laughs> it's like it's food, huh? And you see this car there. And okay, I don't know if you guys do this, but I think, well, they're probably not happy. <laughs> they probably work so much that, you know, their marriage is in trouble and they neglect their children. <laughs> Please, God, don't let them be happy. Because. <laughs> then they'll be happy and have their car too, you know. And then out they come. He comes with his son, you know, and they're hugging each other and smiling, and they're all, ding, you know, shiny. Thanks, Dad. No problem, Biff. You know, let's get you to class now. Okay. 
make sure you say your prayers before you go to church. Oh no, they're Christians too, you know. It's like, oh. And then you start just feeling like, here I am, I'm going to get in my truck, you know. Bink, you know. Have to roll the windows down manually. And something in me just sees those situations and thinks, well, what about me? I want that. Well, I hope they're not happy. And our hearts just kind of go because we envy. We envy people and, and those circumstances that they're in. And in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 5, Jesus tells a parable about a landowner. He goes out to look for some guys to work for him. He goes out early morning, gets some guys. He goes, hey, you guys want to make some money? They go, yeah, hey, I'll pay you a hundred bucks. Work for me for the day. Yeah, okay, great. About three hours later, he finds some other guys. Hey, you guys need some work? Yeah, okay. Hey, I'll pay you um, if you come work for me. Okay, great. Three hours later, six hours from the first guys, he goes again. He goes, hey, you guys need some work? Yeah, I need some work. Okay, come work for me. I got a job for you. You guys can come do some work for me. Eleven hours later, he finds some more guys just standing around. You know, they're out there, I don't know, Home Depot or something, and they're just like, yeah, hey, you guys want to work? Yeah, I want to work. Hey, go out there. I got some work for you. The guys who've been working all day say, man, they've been working for a few hours. We've been working 11 hours. Pay time comes. He goes to the guys who've only been working for a few hours that came 11 after, eleven hours afterwards. They go, here, guys, 100 bucks. The guys, six hours after, here, guys, 100 bucks. The guys who've been there from the beginning say, oh, man, we're going to get paid big time because we've been working a lot longer than them. And when their time comes, he gives them 100 bucks. And they go, hey, we've been working all day. What about these guys? They've only been working a few hours, and you paid them the same as us? That's not fair. And Jesus says, the landowner who represents God says, What's that to you? Didn't I agree with you to pay you this much and you were happy with it? What happened? Why are you now unhappy? And it says at the end, or are you envious because I am generous? And the purpose of that parable is to show us the heart. The same thing that's taking place here in Acts when they hear the Gentiles have now received the good news, are filled with the Spirit, they go, you were in the house of those guys? Are you envious because God is generous? Are you concerned because God is being merciful to these people and you think it's not fair? It's a challenge to our hearts where we're at to see what's going on within us. Now, it's interesting because verses 4 through 18, he rehearses the exact same things that he just did in chapter 10. I mean, it's written almost word for word, the exact same thing. And what's interesting about that is the way they wrote, they didn't copy and paste like we do. You know, they didn't highlight, copy, paste. Okay, there, I'm done. This was written by hand on a scroll. The biggest a scroll could be is about 30 feet long. That's the, the biggest it can be that you can actually manage it. And the reason 
they would not usually repeat themselves is because space is important when you've got to write it out and you've got to carry a 30-foot scroll. And so you don't see things repeated over and over again because it's a lot of work. But for some reason, God felt and prompted Luke by the Holy Spirit, write that down again, what happened. Because this is important. Even though it was just a chapter earlier, I want you to repeat it again. And after he repeats this to them, verse 18, it says, When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. That is the word of God. Repentance to life. That is the message. God has granted even the Gentiles. And you got to admit, it doesn't sound too exciting. They had no more objections. But then they did praise God. They said, wow, okay. I guess God says that's okay. And this dealt with their hearts. And this wasn't just an easy thing. Okay, we're done. Because later on, Peter is rebuked by Paul. Because he won't associate and sit and eat with the Gentiles in a public place. And Paul confronts him to his face and says, that's wrong. You're worried about what they're going to say just because you're sitting With the Gentiles, that's wrong. Peter, the guy who went there and did this, has to be confronted by God. So that shows you how difficult a thing this was. This was something that was weighing on their minds. This is something that was important. Let me ask you, in your relationships with people, do you ever have relationships that are difficult? People that are hard to get along with? People that bug you? (laughs) You're all agreeing so easily. (laughs) I always wonder, am I one of those people too? Do we want mercy? Or do we want judgment? Do we want God to work in their life and change their life so that their life won't be destroyed by the bad things and the the bad habits and the wrong decisions that they're doing? Or do we just want God to get them? like the sons of thunder. God, you want us to call fire down on that city that wouldn't let us in? No, guys. That's not what I'm about. Where is your heart in those hard and difficult situations? Because Jesus said, if you will not forgive, neither will you be forgiven. And what mercy you show, that's what's going to be shown towards you. I want to be close to God. I want to be forgiven by God. Do you forgive? Do you care more about others and seeing them? It doesn't mean you have to like what they do. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them. But do you want what's best for them or do you want them to eat it? Where's your heart? Is it connected to the heart of God? Or are you blinded? to what God desires. And instead of the nation of Israel reaching out in the light, we become our own secluded fortress and we won't reach out to others because of whatever reasons we have against them. And remember, this is the Christians in Jerusalem. That's who was having a hard time. So that puts us 
in this category of having to understand what is going on and to step in to that situation. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6.22. Jesus is again speaking. In verses 22 and 23, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad your body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus had just gone earlier and taught them how to pray, what we call the Our Father. He talked to them about, you know, not storing for themselves treasures on earth where moth destroys and rust can get it, but to store ourselves treasures in heaven where it can't be eroded at. Because where your, your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And then he talks about having this singleness of vision, being able to see things clearly, because your perspective is very important to how your life will be played out. And if the light that is within you. In other words, if you're not seeing things clearly, if the way you see things is distorted, if the way you see things is really dark, how great is that darkness? You are blind to your own self. You're self-deceived. How great is that darkness? And what will happen if you stand and justify yourself in your religious fervor, in whatever it is, and don't see the heart of God reaching for those who are lost, condemning them, not because of what they do, just because of who they are. You don't represent the heart of God. People are condemned already if they have not received the forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus said in John 3.17. I did not come into the world to condemn the world. I came that they might have life. The world is condemned already. Do we understand that? It's not our job to condemn. It's our job to rescue. We can open their eyes to the error of their ways. We can open the eyes to the sin in their life, the evil in their life that separates them from the living God so that they can turn. But if we don't care, how great is that darkness? If we don't see things clearly, or if we stand self-righteous and think, I'm better than you, I'm a Jew, I'm a Christian. I'm a fill-in-the-blanks. Then we don't understand. You too were condemned. By the grace of God, you've been rescued. You heard the word of God, that message of who Jesus is. You responded to it, and that is why you can see clearly. 
It wasn't because you were so good. It wasn't because you dressed nice. It wasn't your car. It was the mercy of God. And how important is it to see clearly? If in the name of God you are unable to see what is best for people, how great is that darkness? If you use your religion to say, I'm better than you, it's by the grace of God. And if we don't reach out, something's wrong. Just the other day, I was driving down Euclid. I got off the 210 up a baseline. And I was getting off Euclid, and I was heading down uh, to Vanessa Larry's house to go pray uh, with Cynthia. And as I was going down, there was a, a nice Lexus. It was a convertible, and, and it was clean. And the top was down because it wasn't raining. And I remember looking at that car and thinking, oh, man, that's a nice car. It was the two-seater sports car, and it was really nice. It had cool rims and... As the car was going down and I was traveling next to it and I was thinking just kind of in my mind just praying and just praying that I could be an encouragement to Cynthia and the family. I remember stopping next to the car and I saw the car and I thought, that's a nice car. But I also thought, I'm so glad where I'm at. I don't want to be in that car. I want to go to this house and I want to pray with these people. I want to be who I am. Now, that might sound funny to you guys, but it was kind of a neat thing for me to just say, I really like where I'm at and what I'm doing. I'm I'm not trying to be like someone else. I really just want to be able to take God's love to other people and do what I can for that. And I felt like I was where I was supposed to be. And there's a real satisfying feeling being where you're supposed to be, knowing this is what I'm supposed to do, this is who I'm supposed to be. There's contentment there. And it doesn't matter what kind of car I'm driving. And it doesn't matter how good the finances are or bad. I'm content, like Paul said in all circumstances, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, I have learned the secret of being content. And being content is being where God wants you, doing what God wants you to do, and having the eyes and the heart that God wants you to have. I hope this morning that you will search your own heart. And just like these Jews had to change their minds and how they think when they were confronted with the fact of God's mercy towards these people, the people who they thought did not deserve one chance, let alone a second chance. I hope you'll see yourself in light of those same situations and circumstances. How do you feel? Where is your heart How are you seeing the situation? Is the light within you darkness? If it is, how great is that darkness? 
Or will you, like they did, wow, I guess that's how it is. Praise God. And from here on, we're going to see the door swings open. And the gospel, the good news, the message of Jesus Christ goes to the ends of the earth. We're going to see God take this good news and say, okay, now let's go. Now let's do what I intended all along. Let's let everybody know how much I really care about them. Well, that's our job. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So let's not lose heart. Let's not have the wrong attitude in this. Let's pray. Father, sometimes it is so difficult to see past our emotions, past our hurts, past our prejudices. Sometimes it is so difficult to get past the wrongs that have been done to us and to trust you for justice. But Father, we need to. We need to search our own hearts and see if there be any wicked way within us. We need to see if if we are like those servants complaining because we think we deserve more when you want to be generous to others. When you want to bless others and we become envious. Something's wrong with us, Lord, and may we see it. And may we allow you to deal with it. May may you cut it out of our hearts, God. Lord, it hurts. It really hurts. It's a surgery that is difficult and a lot of times we fight against it. But it's one that's necessary. And I pray we would allow you to do that work within our own hearts so that we would not be blinded by our prejudices, our envies, our anger that we would remember how low you have reached to embrace us. How much you have forgiven us. And when we see ourselves truly, Lord, we are amazed at your mercy. May we recognize that mercy is for all, for we are condemned already, Lord. It is by your grace, it is by your mercy that you've reached in and changed us and saved us and redeemed us. You have bought us back because of your great love. And so, Lord, may we also take the word of God, the message of Jesus, and proclaim it. May we offer to others the same hope that you've given to us, whoever that is, Lord. May you make our world bigger as we see your heart. Thank you again for your spirit and his ability to deal with us. I know you dealt with me in this through this week, Lord, and I pray that you would work in all of our hearts in these areas so that we could be whole, so that we could be healed from whatever these situations and circumstances are, God. And I do pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.